You know, we're in a world where we, we can't be ordinary. If I'm being brutally honest, maybe that's even why I wanted to start a business, because I wanted to we push to do this extraordinary life. You know, when in reality, we just all need a bit more love and connection. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to In Pursuit of Passion, produced by Empart Media and hosted by myself, Hamish Hallett. And in the first episode of the new season, I was joined by the one and only Sam Moynet. And in this episode, you will learn about confidence being within us rather than out, happiness being in harmony with what we do, think and say, and so much more. So sit back, relax, and let's pursue this passion. Hello, Sam Moynet. Welcome to In Pursuit of Passion. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm absolutely brilliant and really, really grateful to be here, Hamish. Thank you for having me. No, I'm very grateful to have you as my guest for actually the first guest of season five of this great podcast. So massive pleasure for you to be the the first guest. Most of the time we sort of um, ask the first question about, you know, how does your passion start? But for this season and future seasons, I want to kind of change it up. And really what I want to know is like, what is one thing that people should know about you and your passion? One thing that people should know about me, I think that the passion I've got now is never what I intended it to be. And I think growing up, we all have a almost like a clear kind of cookie cutter picture of how our life, we think our life's going to go. And maybe this is something that actually goes into adulthood. And for me, it was always this one direction of being a soldier and, and making my dad proud and, and all this stuff. And really, that's all I wanted to do. I, I never wanted to be a teacher. Never even knew what mental health was for a large part of my life and really thought that life was just going to go one way. And I think we get sold a bit of a myth that, you know, you have to, whatever you decide to do back when you're a bit younger is what you're going to follow through and, and complete. And I think one thing for me is like, if I could go back, it's that there's always curveballs coming and those curveballs, those failures, those, those moments of setback are when we, you know, level up and, and become a better version of ourselves. Because like, if I had to go back and, and, and I know my, my younger self be so proud of me, but also quite amazed at how life has turned out, um, which I think a lot can be said for all of us that, like I said, we had this clear route, but there's always things that are going to come our way. And, and that's when we, like I say, learn and grow and become the better version of ourselves. But it takes a lot of pain to understand that that's a good thing. And it takes a lot of acceptance and forgiveness and love to get to that point where you see that as actually a true blessing. It's so interesting what you just said about, you know, how, you know, we think life's going to go one direction, but yet it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And especially with your story, yours is just a perfect example of going up and down, up and down, because I know you spoke about quite openly on a podcast recently about how you seemed in quotation marks to be a very confident person from the outside, but on the inside, you weren't that at all. And kind of looking back at your sort of younger self, why do you think there was this complete contrast from the person you presented yourself to others compared to the person that you were inside? Because, great question, because we're taught that being in pain is bad. Mm. Like we're taught not to show negative emotion, you know, like, yeah. you know, when we're upset as kids, where do we go? We go up to our room and cry. You know, we, we, we're away, like we, we're showing that negative is negative emotion, if you want to label it, is bad and we shouldn't experience that. Happiness and positivity is what we should always be striving towards. Mm. So it's this total disconnect. So for me growing up, someone who was this middle of the road kid, like 
tried my very best. My parents had saw that great ethic in me from a, a super young age to keep trying, keep doing your best, but wasn't that academic, wasn't that great at sports. And I'd be constantly comparing myself to other people and just feeling not good enough. And if I'm honest, it, it led all the way through this comparison until about I had my first sort of, I don't want to say mental, mental health breakdown, but the first time I really experienced like significant challenges in my mental health mm. was the first time that I let all that go. And that was when I was about 24. And Brilliant. it was tough, you know, like going through those years and, and feeling like you weren't worthy or you had to do something great, extraordinary. You know, we're in a world where we, we can't be ordinary. Mm. And I think for maybe that's, if I'm being brutally honest, maybe that's even why I wanted to start a business because I wanted to, we're pushed to do this extraordinary life. You know, when in reality, we just all need a bit more love and connection. Yeah. Have you um, read this book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Mason or heard of it? I have heard of it. Yeah, my brother actually uh, gave it to me once, but I haven't read it. All right, you should read it because there was something really interesting where oftentimes people seek extraordinary in life thinking it's this amazing thing where sometimes ordinary life is completely fine. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes social media and oftentimes those that we compare ourselves to often promote this extraordinary life, whereas actually having the so-called ordinary life or a normal life, whatever that is, is oftentimes a lot better to have in that sense. And what I found really interesting is when you said that you were comparing yourself to people, who were you comparing your, yourself to? So back at school, just like the popular kids at school and the guys mm. that were great at sport, um, the people that were like, you know, effortlessly seemed to just go through their studies and, and not have any issues. Um, it was mainly that domain, mainly sport and, and looks, right. And just everything yeah. and like dress sense, you know, and it, I think it's only gotten worse. You know, if I'm honest from the work I do now in schools where there's, you know, like luckily for me, and I'm probably sure for you as well, that yeah, we, like towards the end of our school age. So that was for me, that was 2008, you know, social media was just kind of becoming a thing. Facebook might've just launched around then. And, but now it's, 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 it's very, very toxic. And, you know, I see some like kids in the gym at like 13, 14, like pumping weights, you know, trying to, yeah. trying to like create this sense of, I guess, trying to be a man or, or, or look up to people on Instagram that are like, this is what I need to aspire to be. And it's, the, it's a constant battle and chase between uh, our being, right? And what we're, what we're trying to do and have. And a lot of the time I was thinking, well, once I have academic achievement, once I, I have a great body, once I have um, sporting success, then I'll be able to, I don't know, do more stuff and then be happy. Mm. But like we've got it all the wrong way around and it's the same at school. Like we, we show kids, right, that once they have the great exam results, that's going to equate to their worth and their happiness, which like, spoiler alert, is a total myth. Mm -hmm. because you're constantly chasing the next thing. We need to find our being and our happiness within. Like, and that's what I'm pumped up about showing students and the education system um, more about, you know? Yeah, it's, it completely agree with you in terms of like the education, in terms of like, oftentimes we think happiness is this faraway destination, whereas actually happiness is, is around us, which I know sounds super deep, but like that it kind of is that idea. And it's sort of finding a way to sort of, center ourselves within our present sort of setting and to focus what is around us and I know you sort of spoke quite heavily about sort of you know you thinking that life was going to go one direction towards going to the army I know you kind of wanted to follow your dad's footsteps so I know yeah. I think your dad fought in the Falcons War is that correct 
Yeah, my dad is such an amazing guy. Still is my inspiration yeah. for sure. But like, here's the here's the other thing, right? He never told mm. me to do that. Really? He never. There was no no ever part of him that sat me down and said, "This is the path I want you to take." Yeah, that was all my stuff. But it took me a long time to realize it wasn't my belief that caused. You know, it was that wasn't me. It was kind of a belief that I'd taken on that I was not worthy of my dad's love or pride unless I did that. And then you've chuck in the mix. I'm the oldest of three boys. My other two brothers were like the most popular kids in their year group. Well, it was, they seem to be. I was just not really finding my feet. So it was the moment where I thought like, I have to do this. I have to do this to show, to have this big life-changing event, to have this, you know, my moment of going forth, of, of stepping up, of, of growth that I was really craving. But I didn't know the best way to go about it. And, and I wanted the recognition from my dad. Like he never told mm. me to do that. And I tell you, the moment I learned this stuff, which is the 23rd of April, 2015, was an amazing transformational moment where I realized I've been hanging on to this for so long. And it wasn't actually my thing. It was a belief, a thought, an emotion, whatever you want to call it, that I've taken on from a young age and, and run with. And it was a real big blessing <laughs> to realize it wasn't me. Really? Gosh. Yeah. Why, why was it a blessing? Because I was in a lot of pain. And I knew deep down that I'm a very, I'm a very sensitive guy. There's parts of the army stuff that I would have loved wholeheartedly, like the, the leadership, the management, the, the people. But, mm -hmm. you know, the thought of <laughs> very lucky, and we're, we're very lucky to sit here and not be in a war zone. And, and I can't even imagine how extreme oh, that would be, you know, yeah. for a human being to go through. <laughs> And I'm definitely too, um, no, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. So it's obviously a blessing in, in that way. But when I, when I, I didn't make the cuff, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So that kind of decision was taken out of my hands. But from that, the age of 21 to 24, there was this underlying bubbling layer of anxiety of not feeling good enough, of feeling extremely lost. and a massive victim and probably a villain at the same time, like victimizing myself for not making the cut. And then the villain comes on as well and being like, oh, you, you know, you let your dad down. You haven't done this. Mm -hmm. And actually now I think about this now, that first coaching session I had on the 23rd of April, 2015, you know, was my guide and helped me to kind of step up and be a bit more of a hero for my story. Um, but yeah, it was painful. Like, at that moment was a really big moment, but it was like this weight of pressure off my shoulders. The mm. other thing, right, it was the first time I'd ever spoken to someone in this way, non-judgmental, someone who listened, who was a heart with ears, there wasn't a family member. And I realized in that moment that, man, true courage is not like muscles, fighting for your country, um, you know, being the best at sport. You know, true courage is... He's being vulnerable and being honest and open. That's true courage. And it seemed from listening to you just there and sort of how you sort of spoke about your story about how you sort of wanted to like look at your life as one direction to go into the army. It seemed like you sort of, and correct me if I'm wrong here, so you seem to have kind of wrapped the idea of confidence within going into the army. If yep. that, is that a good way of putting it? Yeah, well, we all do that, I think. Like we always think like yeah. confidence gets banded around a lot. And a lot of the time I felt that you have to sort of 
have confidence to take, to make progress, to take action. So let me just go into this. So, you know, it's the same with motivation. We all think, well, I need to be, wait for a feeling of motivation to then make progress and take action. So for me, it was like, well, I guess you could say my action step was joining the army, but really that was just like, that decision was me trying to like gain confidence Then I could progress my life and then I could take action and, and be, and it's almost like same reverse. It's like, once I have the army, I'll be able to be confident. Mm. I'll be able to make my dad proud, but we've got to understand that confidence has to come within first up, but also it's a result of small action steps that you take daily, daily, daily that, that build up to that feeling of confidence. Um, but yeah, for me, it was like a great bit of recognition. And let's be honest, like going to be a soldier, like not many people do that. So it was another thing like me standing out, trying to be this extraordinary person, you know, that I thought I needed to be. If I had to remove your experience of not getting into the British Army from your life, because I know you got like the letter, the, the letter where you, because I know you described how you got a letter saying, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to go to the army. What if I'd removed that life experience? What value would be missing for the person that I'm sitting here today with? Man, that's a phenomenal question. Um, someone that definitely wouldn't have. That's a great question, man. I'll put you on a spot, haven't I? <laughs> no, it's, it's a really powerful question. Yeah. Um, because that moment for me of in 2012 of receiving that letter. And I remember collapsing on the floor. I still get quite emotional thinking about it. Um, and like smashing my coffee cup against the wall. And in that massive feeling of pain and then, and then forcing myself to be a teacher, even though I really didn't want to do it, but I just had no other option really. And I thought I'd just do it for a couple of years and then like out the door, everything would have changed. Um, and I wouldn't have had, you know, I'm making an impact in the world. My, my contribution is super high mm. and it's a big value of mine. And that contribution, yes, it would have been a different area, maybe leading a, a group of men. Um, who knows what I'll be doing now? But it is so fascinating. And this is why like failure is a blessing. Right? Like, but I, I didn't know that at 21 years old. At 21 I mean, no years old, like, no you have failed. You are over <laughs> No one knows it though. Come on. <laughs> no, no one does. But we make, again, we make a bad, again, the school system is not set up in a way where we engage with it, like in a proactive way. Failure. It's like, again, like we said at the start of the call, like failure is bad. You know, we shouldn't, when I was leaving teaching, right? I printed out all this stuff on my board, above my whiteboard, that failure is a blessing, right? Huge letters above my board. And the head teacher came in and was <laughs> into my room, just have a look around. I was a bit shocked by that message. And I had to kind of go out and explain. And then after every single exam or test I gave my students back then, I was just asking these two questions, which are phenomenal, right? To overcome failure, which is the first one, is what can I learn from this? The second one is how can I use this knowledge? So it's that ability to keep engaging with it when we face a setback. What can I learn? How can I use this knowledge? Just bearing yourself every single day. But yeah, it's a great question to ask because, well, life would ultimately be so different. Mm. And I think we can all look back. One of my favorite quotes is from Steve Jobs. It says, um, in life, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust in something. Your gut, destiny, life, karma, that the dots will somehow connect down the road. And what this means is that 
for me, I'm 31 years old. If I look back on the last 31 years and start to connect the dots of all these setbacks, challenges, pain, failure, I'll realize that I've got this internal compass that's always going to be helping me to navigate whatever future that the future holds. Because that's when we're in that period of overwhelm is like, we're trying to, you know, pre-plan our future. But if we know, if we can look back and say, well, I've overcome all this stuff, right? Then the future's taken care of itself. I've just got to show up right now and be present and move forward. The quote that you just said about the kind of jotting the dots back, you can only jot the dots back, I'm sorry, in the past, not the future. It's, it's such a, I've never even heard of that quote, but it makes so much sense because it actually, you have to look back. If, it, if, you're, if you're dealing with a challenge, you're getting overwhelmed, as you said, you've got to, look back and say, okay, I've actually overcome a similar challenge and I can go forward with whatever I'm dealing with, you know? And you spoke quite um, heavily about, you know, the education system, how you want to make an impact and sort of not change it. Maybe that's not the right word, but at least sort of change certain aspects of it. And you founding Student Breakthrough in 2017, like, is that kind of the impact that you wish to achieve through that company in the sense of changing the education system in order to make it I don't know, more efficient, maybe better. Like, yeah, what was your sort of main wish to achieve through Student Breakthrough is, is what the question I want to ask, really. Yeah, I mean, you've got to... So with entrepreneurship and running a business, like I started that business to help kids one-on-one with their mental health. I realized I was very good at supporting them. I built great relationships as a teacher and I realized that I could do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but you level up in every single way. But if, you, if you're committed and you, you're persistent at something, you keep leveling up. So now my thing is to really step up into this role of an education disruptor. Ooh. Right? Is to really start to, yeah, you got like the ooh there. Um, I, was like, I was thinking, hey, what is an education disruptor? That's a, I've never heard of that. That's what basically term. means, like, is that this system is outdated, dysfunctional, broken, 200 years out of date. Mm. And we need to do more to help our students and to help our young people and staff, because it is so like, so dysfunctional. I can't actually begin to describe the curriculum is like huge. So many different bolt-ons, the, 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 the massive summative assessments, the different subjects that they do that aren't actually really that necessary anymore. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, and if I'm honest, I have no idea because it's such a big, like juggernaut beast, what to do really. And like how to impact change. All I know is that it has to be a ground up movement and it has to be from teachers, great people that are doing amazing things in education. Um, and the, the challenge is that everyone's doing their little thing. And in this educational, I guess, entrepreneurship space, there's not loads of us cause it's like, it's tough to run a business in this space. Like there's definitely easier ways to make money in business without a shadow of a doubt, but your contribution level here is like through the roof. Mm. However, like, I feel my purpose is really to lead this movement and to speak up and to tell it how it is. And if I'm honest, annoy some people a bit more (laughs) and to be a bit more (laughs) controversial because like, there's only so much, so, so how much further it can go. Um, it's just a very toxic culture and we need to do a lot more to change things. And, and I believe with what we are doing, we can change that aspects of mental health. But this is the person I'm choosing to become. Like I am this education disruptor. But you can't, I couldn't have done that four years ago. You have to, you have to trust yourself, back yourself. And 
you know, I've got a great program that's helped lots, thousands of people across the world. So I know it works. I know people enjoy what we do. And I put a post out the other day about should GCSEs be scrapped? First time I put something a bit controversial on LinkedIn and the engagement was so high. You know, mm. people were like, yes, this is, this is what we need to be doing. There needs to be other options, blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot of support here. And if you could, you know, this isn't about me, by the way, this isn't to like rub my ego or to like give me recognition, but if I can pull more people together at this, you know, then we can create some lasting change. What I found really interesting is about your answer was that you kind of felt like you could do more with the position that you were in. Cause I know you were a history, history teacher for about five years. Yeah. What did you mean by you felt like you could do more? What do you mean by that? Yeah, great question. Um, I think two things, really. The, f- the first thing when I said I could do more is that teaching history is and will be, and I will go back to it one day, uh, was one of the highlights of my life. It was amazing. And I loved it to bits. And I miss it every day. There's lots of things that I don't miss. <laughs> <laughs> annoying kids, annoying... Uh... No, not the kids. I love the kids. The not things kids. I miss. Oh, like, right. stuff. Okay, fair, fair. Okay. The, the stuff that I left, like, you know, judging kids by data, um, the constant pressure that we were under as teachers, the, the lack of real human connection sometimes um, with some things. So when I said I think I could do more, when I first learned, had my coaching experience and then started coaching kids at school... I really started to realize that, yeah, teaching history is cool, but there's way more things I could help them with, right? Like overcoming anxiety, boosting their motivation, like skyrocketing their self-esteem. That's when I realized I could do more. And then personally, I watched my mum and dad um, run some great businesses, some businesses that failed growing up. So I came from a background and my, my granddad ran a, unfortunately just passed away, but he ran an amazing business in logistics. Again, started from nothing. So for me, I also felt that I could do more. And as much as I loved my job as a teacher, I felt like I had more to give and a more high level of contribution in the world. Yeah. What is that contribution though for you? It's really simple. It's, it's giving back to help other people. It's, it's that straightforward. And I see lots of people in their, well, my friendship group, some of them, especially in the past, who, who land these big high paying jobs in the city. And it's great, they're making loads of money, but like some big, nasty corporate machine that doesn't really value them and all they're doing is generating money and they're just kind of this number on a page. And they, they, they come to me sometimes, they're like, oh, I'm just not feeling very satisfied. Just not feeling satisfied or, or happy with what I'm doing. And then you look at their level of contribution like who are they, what being are they serving? What human being, what person, what animal, what, what thing are they, are they just striving towards? So the easiest way to boost your mental health, you know, is to give back, to contribute, to show that love and kindness to someone else. And you can do that in other ways. I'm not saying like, you know, don't work in the city. All I'm saying is like, if you're feeling a bit unsatisfied, check in with that question, right? How am I contributing to the world around me? And if it's not where you want it to be, you haven't got to quit your job, but you can go and, you know, help out, support other people. Even checking in with a friend is a contribution level, but it does make you feel better giving back to move forward. How does someone know if they are contributing or not? 
Because I feel like maybe you've had that, because as you said, it's like, you know, people should ask that question. But I'm guessing maybe you've had to ask your question, that question to yourself as well. So like, how do you understand or how do you get to the answer of, am I contributing to something or am I not? Like, how do you get to that answer? Well, I think it's... Um, or do you think it's more of a continuous thing? Yeah, it's probably more of a continuous thing. I mean, I'm, I'm going back to the, the, the great guy, Tony Robbins here, Six Human Needs, where... Yeah. He's got needs of, we need certainty in our lives. We also need a bit of variety. We want to feel significant. And we also want to have love and connection. They're the human needs. And the needs are spirit of growth and contribution. So really what this is saying is like, you know, if you've got too much, for instance, if you've got too much certainty in your life, if everything's going too kind of stable, you know, you might be getting a bit bored. So you might want to mix it up a bit. You know, you also might, if you're not feeling very significant in your, in your workplace or that giving that sense of importance, right, you might want to boost that love and connection. I mean, the biggest thing that I see is like with everyone that I work with is that we just need more love and connection. We need more contribution. So for me, it's like, if you're, if you're that, that need is not being met, you know, if you're not serving someone else or helping, and you can contribute in other ways, being a great partner or a sibling or, you know, supporting an animal, whatever, like a pet or something like that. Like there's different ways of contribution, but just look at, who do you give back to on a regular basis? Who do you show love and kindness to? And could you do more of that? Because I guarantee if you didn't increase that by like 1%, it's going to help you to increase your level of you know, contribution, happiness, whatever you want to say. You know, it's like, I don't know about you, but Christmas time, I much prefer giving out my gifts than receiving them. Because yep. yeah, you get that, right? Well, so like, get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a cool experience. And if we're constantly giving, like taking all the time, which we do in this busy day-to-day world, we take likes on social media. Uh, we take, I don't know, delivery happening really, really fast. We take having Netflix whenever we want. And then we've got all this stuff on our doorstep that we were quite good at taking these days where I'd say our level of giving um, is not on the same. The ratio of like taking to giving is out of balance. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to make giving like, yeah, is it the highest common denominator? I'm getting my maths right here. Like, yeah, like on, a, on an equal level, I think I don't do maths, so <laughs> you're asking the wrong person. But I, I completely, um, yeah, no, I, I get it though, because it, it's sort of like we do take, take, take more than actually what we give, yeah. and oftentimes it's like it, it's with anything. It's like let's say even at advice, I feel we take a lot of advice but yet we don't offer the same advice back to the same person who will offer the advice originally, if that kind of makes sense, I feel. Yeah, and you can um, feel that in friendships. Like, I've definitely had that yeah. in the past. With mm. what I do with mental health coaching, like, you know, I'm very honest and open. So a lot of my guy friends will come to me and go and girl mates as well and, like, want to open up sometimes and yeah. want to express themselves. And I'm all for that. But I do notice on certain friendships some that I'm letting go of, that that's not reciprocated. Mm. And that's kind of like the whole give and take thing. And, you know, you shouldn't be supporting everyone. Like we've only got like an iPhone or a phone. We've only got a certain amount of battery life of the day. You've got to work out who you're going to be contributing to. And if they're going to be boosting you up or just kind of sucking down or draining that battery life off you. So it's really important to check in with that and who you're surrounding yourself with. Uh, totally. I mean, that, that is something that I think on this, on this podcast, we talk about so much about, because oftentimes we've had entrepreneurs like Ginger King, for example, who's a beauty expert. We've had 
Vaughan Granger as well, who's like a clothing person. He also spoke about so much about having that sort of accountability group and being very mindful of who you choose around you and stuff. And I'm guessing with you, you're quite mindful of the people that you surround yourself with. That's with Student Breakthrough, but also your life as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, I want to be really honest here. So I went through a, I was with a girl for three years. We broke up about this time last yeah. year and I moved to London. Um, and I was in a lot of pain. Damn. And I, what I do, I just went out loads. I partied so hard um, mm. to the point where I actually stopped drinking and going out in November of last year just to give myself a break and actually like reflect on my own mental health. But I was surrounded with a group who was so much fun. Like they were a lot of fun, but it was all around going out and drinking and partying and staying up and being out of routine. And only really recently, I've really kind of taken responsibility for this part of my life. And, and I'm sharing this now because I'm not a guru or an expert, right? I'm a human being and we have our blind spots. Okay. So what I'm sharing here is like, it took me a long time to realize, okay, like, I'm dealing with this probably not in the best way. So what have I done recently? I've always had my coach all along. I've had a coach the last, well, since I was 24, different coaches, but you know, I've joined a great group of um, this new mastermind group. So it's like a business support group, basically, with just guys. And a lot of them are doing six-figure, seven-figure businesses. You know, I'm not there yet. And but I'm surrounding myself with those kind of people. You know, and they're the people I want to be surrounding myself with now. And it's basically giving me a, I'm going to swear, like we're rocking up the arse basically. Yeah. And it's totally. been like, you know, Sam, if you want to live this life, it's, it's big on congruence, big on integrity. You know, how can I run a business on mental health if I'm going out a lot? I'm saying not like the occasional night is fine. But if I'm going out and basically, let's, let's be upfront here, alcohol is not great for your mental health. Lack of sleep is not great for your mental health. Yeah, I was doing all this stuff. And when I stopped like drinking in November, and I'm thinking of doing it again soon, everything was more aligned because I was living with congruence, I was living with integrity of purpose. And, you know, that was it's, the last year has been really one of the toughest years I've faced, I'd say, um, in many ways. You know, in October, I remember being in Sainsbury's. I've had a few panic attacks in my time, but I basically had a panic attack in Sainsbury's while I was grabbing onto my shopping basket and in floods of tears, feeling like the ground was basically going to come out beneath me. I was not in a good way. And people would probably be like, wow, like that's quite a high level of vulnerability there. And I share that because I just want to say that like, you can learn all this stuff. And I've been in this industry for a long time and you can still have moments where you are really, really struggling. And in that moment is when you need to take drastic action, like reaching out, like checking in and realizing this is not the life you want to be living. Because if you've got awareness on what you need to be doing, yet you don't take action and follow through on it, you're doing everyone a disservice. Yourself, include, yourself being the main person you're doing a disservice to. Great quote from Gandhi that happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. Yet how many times... Do we think I'm going to stop doing X, Y, Z? We say to people to stop doing X, Y, Z, and yet we go and do X, Y, Z. Yeah. I share it with kids all the time. How many times you said you thought you're going to revise or study? Say to mum and dad, you're going to revise and study. But then you binge Netflix, go on your phone, do nothing. Like you're out of alignment. Quickest way to improve your mental health. Just stick to your word. 
<laughs> like literally <laughs> that is yeah that's the quote that's the quote just stick to what you do yeah just stick to your word man like build personal integrity build responsibility leadership ownership for your life mm. you know, so many people just and i'm included like we all do it i'm not saying like again i'm not a guru expert all got our blind spots but if you can start checking in like in buddhism we talk lots about like perfect speech right and i really cut back on these white lies i tell people because we all do it. It's easier to tell a white lie than be honest. Did it the other day. I said, called some friends up and I said, um, we're meant to be going for a meal on Sunday, uh, dinner. And I said, usually I would have told a lie. I would have said like, uh, I've got something on. I've got to see another friend. I might've even used my Crohn's disease as an excuse. I've done that in the past, being up for and honest. Mm-hmm. I called them up and I said, oh, I voice note them. Sorry. I said, guys, I'm feeling really low on energy. Um, I've got a big week ahead and I'm just not going to come today. And I hope you appreciate my honesty. And I was really nervous about sending that text, that voice note. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? Didn't get anything back for a while. And then all of a sudden these floods of like voice notes and messages came back saying like, Sam, thank you so much for your honesty. I hope you're doing really well. Um, I appreciated that. And that's what I mean. Like cut back on the white lies, stick to your word and, and just be more honest and truthful. And it's a great way of improving your mental health. Mm. Oh, completely. I, I definitely resonate with that a lot. And the only thing is, because oftentimes with this podcast, we want to make it very practical in terms of the advice we give. How do we stick to our word though? Because as you said, it's very hard to stick to our word. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I check in with that quote, what am I thinking, saying and doing? Yeah. All the time. Like checking in with that is really, really important. And actually do my actions match up with my thoughts or vice versa? Do my thoughts match up with my actions? Would be a great thing I'd check in on. And also, if you, again, if you're feeling out of alignment, you're feeling like pulled in different directions, it's probably because you're not sticking to your word. So you've got to be like the nightclub bouncer, the policeman on the door. and think like, okay, well, if something's not going on, then you know, you're not coming in, if that makes sense. Or you need to do something else about it. You've got to take action. Again, we talk about in coaching the three A's which is awareness, action, and accountability. So I'll go into that. So the awareness you need to have is like, okay, this part of my life is not going where I want it to be. Awareness, right? And you can learn that through coaching. Speaking to people is great. Journaling, you get that awareness. The second day is action. So how can we take that awareness and move it into action? So for instance, the awareness I had after that panic attack in Sainsbury's in October was, you need to actually stop this lifestyle. You need to take a circuit break. Stop drinking, going out, hanging out with this group of people. Um, I got some different support. I hired another therapist. Take an action. And then hold yourself accountable. So obviously book in those sessions. Um, plan other things that you can do instead of going out and drinking, for instance. All this stuff. So the three A's. Awareness, action, accountability. And I say, if you have the awareness, but you're not doing anything about it, then, like I say, you're doing yourself, the world, mainly you, the biggest disservice. Very, very good advice. I'll, I'll definitely write that down because I've also been doing something recently where I've had the awareness of sometimes not checking on my own thoughts recently. However, yeah. I've realized that. And I think if I'm not doing this, then, as you said, it's giving me a big disservice. And then, in terms of my own action, I've decided. Every, like not every single day, but like one day, at least a day a week, where I go out to my park, my local car park in um, 
tooting, sort of like tooting, uh, uh, tooting common, there you go. Yeah. Um, I just write down my thoughts one day a week. And that kind of shows it's having that awareness of realizing, right, I don't want to be in this place where I have all these thoughts which are just dangling everywhere. I'd rather have this action in terms of writing all my thoughts down and taking at least a day a week. And that's my accountability in that sense. So that's very good advice. Like, I think that's yeah, journaling's that I think important. Is, you know, yeah, yeah, journaling's super important, like you said there. And articulating that is amazing. It's really, yeah. really powerful. Very the other powerful. thing I suggest with that is like, yeah, our thoughts aren't necessarily, I'd say our thoughts aren't reality. You know, we can't mm. control them. That's why someone just says, think positive. That's just a very short term sticking plaster. Yeah. So we've got to understand, like, I think there's a study that like 80,000 thoughts a day we have and they're, they're constantly coming in and out. A lot of the time we can't control them, but we can control how we react to them. So a great example you just shared there, Hamish, of like, okay, I'm just going to journal on these thoughts. I'm going to write them down and see what happens and just kind of, yeah, mold them over a little bit and experience them, you know, but our thinking is not reality, you know, just because what we have up here transmits to our body and our being doesn't necessarily mean that's correct. So yeah, you can do like affirmations and, and, and tell yourself that you're, you can be different, mm. but just take that advice as well, that those thoughts you have aren't reality. We have 80,000 a day. You can't control them, but you can control how you react to them. Another bit of advice there. Look, loads. You gave me so much advice. Jesus. <laughs> Too much. I'm just kidding. No, no, definitely. No, no. <laughs> Keep going with it. Keep going with it. And there's something actually I wanted to ask you, actually, because I know with Student Breakthrough, you hold the freebies quite close to you. Uh, boost, believe, and breakthrough. Yeah. Why do you hold those three values in particular so close to what you do and your passion? Yeah, well, I think that, that was the, that is our coaching program. Get my words out. That was our coaching program that I made back in 2017. Um, it's been adapted and changed, but the three Bs is our model for coaching students, and I've coached adults with it and various different people. But really, it goes from the, what we call it boost to start with, because when people come to us, they are generally at quite a low place. Um, I've dealt with some extreme mental health stuff in my time, like suicide, self-harm, drugs, and gangs. I'm a mental health first aider. I've done grief recovery with students, uh, courses, counseling. and But that's quite an extreme for us. You know, I, I really, we're dealing with kind of low-level mental health, but it's like a little bit of anxiety, underconfidence, procrastination, um, not feeling good enough. And in Boost, really, it's about giving those students those little rocket boosters to open up, to start taking action, to improve themselves. Everything we do is about action. Mm. And that's what I think that a lot of school support falls down on. A lot of talking, not enough doing. So we're like, we're going to empower you and we're not going to tell you what to do. You're going to tell it, come up with it yourself and we're going to support you. We're going to be your biggest cheerleaders. So Boost is that. It's that first kind of three, four modules, three, four weeks of a program and we get kids like opening up, talking, sharing. In Believe, we do different tools on, as it says, like their beliefs, mm -hmm. on confidence, on their values, things like this. And around that five, our program is between nine, 10 sessions long. On those sessions, five and six, they do start to trust the process and believe in themselves and start seeing results. And it's this kind of like pushing a snowball down a hill. It starts to, to build. And then in Breakthrough, we look at things like relationships, um, empathy, the future self, and that's really where they have lots of like aha breakthrough moments as we call it for that section. And then we have a big celebration of how far they've come. Um, and I stopped doing the one-to-ones. 
for about a year. Cause I was like, I'm training people now. I can hand this on to someone else. I went back a few months ago and started doing them. Um, and I love it so much. Oh man. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and it, because it's where it all began for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, helping kids overcome, I, you know, a guy called Michael, I worked with the other day. Great guy. Predicted three A stars at A level. And was really struggling with anxiety around these exams and the pressure he's putting himself and his insomnia that he was developing. You know, he turns around at the end and says like, you know, thank you so much. You changed my life. You know, it's, it's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about me. Like I'm just the guide. Oh, completely. Yeah. You know, I don't, it's, when I say that, it's like, well, this is what he's gained. He's actually come to do some work experience for me, which is really cool. You know, he could have, could have done so much different stuff. He asked me, the first person that's ever asked me, hey, can I come and do work experience with you? I was like, yes. <laughs> Let's do it, man. So yeah, you know, it's, that program has helped lots of students in different ways. Um, I've got a free online course about it as well. Um, if people can access, I can put it in the notes. Um, and that's what we train people on as well. We train people in using those tools so they can then help students um, have more freedom. You know, I'm not saying you can become a millionaire from student coaching, but we want to help people you know, have more freedom, monetize their coaching. And, and it's really cool to see people, you know, help students in this. It blows my mind that this has happened, you know, but who would have thought back in 2012 that this would be possible? Exactly. You've got to trust the process, man. And also say yes when opportunities come your way. I mean, the fact you got, you know, quite emotional um, shows how passionate you are about it, you know. It, it, especially those stories and especially when you help someone. I mean, I, I would never, because I, I, I actually mentor um, mentees, actually. So I mentor um, students myself, actually. And sometimes when you try and help people and you see that sort of um, impact, like saying, oh, that really helped me, that piece of advice really helped me. It's crazy, that sort of feeling. And I, and I agree, it's not about us giving that advice. You, you're not getting a reward. It's not boosting your ego at all. It's you're just doing it because again, it goes back to the contribution. You want to contribute to people's lives. And I feel like that's to me, it kind of asks, it kind of maybe answers a question that I kind of want to ask you was like, why do you, why do you do what you do? It's probably, is it because you want to contribute to people's lives? You want to improve their lives in terms of their mental health. I'm guessing that's sort of the reason what you do, what you do really. Yeah. So it's constant wins. Like I remember when I was teaching, I'd drive home from these early coaching sessions and I'd be, I'd be working with kids like in break times after school. Yeah. Um, I'd be driving home in floods of tears because mm. it was like being hit by life's purpose. And I'd be honest up front. I've wanted to quit. Like I was sat in Brockwell Park near me writing down ideas on how I can exit this business. Now, Again, like high level vulnerability though. Um, but I share that again. I just want to justify why I'm sharing it. It's because there's always going to have those setbacks. Now, when I was writing down those things of like, well, what else could I do? It actually gave me quite a cool moment of choice. I don't have to do this actually. It's tough doing what I, like, you know, running the, life is hard, right? We get that. And it, it can be easy. But running a business and education, like on your own, basically, I've got a couple of teammates, but it's pretty, pretty like tough. Is, it's found its challenges. However, like when I'm writing that stuff down, I'm never really thinking I'm going to stop because I look back on these moments where I've met a student once 
And the day, first day I met him was when he was trying to take his own life and jump off a bridge in Milton Keynes, where I'm from. And uh, I'll give you the short version of that. Long story short, he didn't do that. And I met him that day and we, I did a coaching session with him and I worked with him through on the three Bs. He then became a public, he's done some great public talks for me. He's a great speaker. He's got his own Instagram account now um, that helps kids with their mental health. Anyway, he did a talk for me just before lockdown in 2020. Uh, my parents were in the room and he shared his story and he was 14 and the room was in floods of tears. Everyone was hyper emotional as you can imagine. And my mom pulled me to one side at the end of the event and she hugged me and she kind of gently like kind of spoke in my ear that I'm so proud of you. If the business ends today, it's been a phenomenal success because you've saved that guy. Yeah. And I was like, so even when I'm writing these ideas down, even when life is tough and I want to quit and, you know, again, I'm saying I want to quit because I'm a human being, like life gets hard and there's easy, there's easy ways out sometimes, but I never lose that, that inner drive, that inner, inner fire about that guy and how many more people out there that need this help. The fact that things can be different in education, the fact that we need to do more and it is so unfit for purpose. It is ruining our staff. It is ruining our kids. Um, you know, it got so bad. Why did I see that guy? Why did he try and take his own life? Yes, there's lots of stuff going on. He'll openly say he didn't get the right type of support at school. Like think positive, like do some breathing, like whatever. Like, you know, he was being let down by the system. It's not the school's fault, system's fault. All right. So like, yeah, that's why I do what I do because to help kids like him. Gosh. Damn. I mean, that looks... Whew. No, it does make sense completely. Completely. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, it's completely not. It's just like, it's such a, it's a powerful story. But it, it completely, I think oftentimes though, those moments of, you know, those kind of stories, those moments, it goes back to your why. It goes back to why you do what you do. Because oftentimes yeah. this sort of relates to my own passion in terms of communicating or podcasting. It's like, this is the reason why I do what I do is to listen to these stories, to understand these stories, to learn from these stories and to apply it to my own life and do that. That's why I do what I do. And again, like what you showed me is why I do my passion. So thank you for, for doing that. Thank you for saying that story because that, you know, no creates that why behind what I do. So yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And Sticking to the same sort of line of passion, this will be my last question, which we often always ask our guests near the end of our conversations normally is, you know, what does passion mean to you? Mm. Passion for me is living a life where you are in alignment with what you should be doing or what you want to be doing. So passion for me is purpose. What is your purpose? For me, it's education. I'm just thinking about myself here. Passion is always for me as well about showing up with love and kindness to that, to that purpose. And understanding that this life is a phenomenal gift. You know, I think the chance of being born like one in 400 trillion, if you work it out, all the things that could have happened and could have not happened, right? So like, it's a miracle that we're here. 
it's a beautiful life and passion is uncovering your purpose and then filling the world with as much love and kindness as you can and giving that to yourself and giving that to others so that we can make the world a better place, which sounds a bit cringe and a bit cliche, but that's what it is for me. It's like we can contribute with love and kindness. That ripple effect that comes out from a passion or, you know, is mega, right? Like this is a great way of doing that. Like if one person listens to this podcast and they take something away, like, wow, <laughs> that your passion has been nailed because you've done this and it's like help one person. So for me, it's like, it's that love and kindness, that giving back with purpose is why I define passion as. Great, great answer, mate. Honestly, Sam, this has been such a pleasure having you on in Pursuit of Passion. Massive pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. I've absolutely loved it. Thank you so much, Hamish. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of In Pursuit of Passion, produced by Empart Media and hosted by myself, Hamish Hallett. What a great guest Sam Moynet was, and I hope you take away so many great lessons from this episode. You can find out all of his links down below in the episode bio. And to the next episode of In Pursuit of Passion, keep pursuing that passion and see you in the next one.